Hello and welcome to the Christina Talks podcast. Now today's guest is an exceptional woman, an absolutely exceptional woman. If you have ever looked at things like passive income, semi-passive income, you've probably come across this lady. She has she's done so much stuff in what feels like quite a small period of time. And um, I'm really excited to talk to her and have her share her story with us. So let's just let her into the room now and she can share that story herself. Let's welcome the fantastic Lisa Johnson. I haven't given too much away because there's so many things I want to sort of dive in and and talk to you about. But very quickly, let's say no one, let's say the person listening to this has never Googled passive income before in their life. Okay. They might not have come across you if that was the case. So just give us very quickly, what's, what's your story? Oh, it depends how much of it you want. Um, Basically, I grew up in poverty and um, I was bullied my entire life. And so things weren't looking great for me, (laughs) like where where I might go in life. But I managed to kind of claw my way up to, you know, from nothing no qualifications or anything um, to be to working in an investment bank eventually um, in Canary Wharf. And in that investment bank, I was a risk analyst. But then as I was there, I got pregnant with twins and that changed everything. So I'd done what I thought was okay. You know, I was earning decent money. I'd, I'd managed to do more than other people in my family and friends kind of world had and they were pregnant with twins and so I thought to myself well I'm just going to go back to work when they're five months old I'll go back to work everything will be fine they'll just fit in with my life how ridiculous that sounds now but that's what I decided to do and they did I, I went back to work and I was working from I think I was leaving the house at six o'clock in the morning I was there till 10 o'clock at night sometimes and I never saw them and I was going through a divorce at the time And so I was becoming a single parent and it was a nightmare. So I realized that I was going to have to leave that job that I'd worked so hard to get and instead go and get whatever is the nearest normal nine to five job near my house. So I could at least see them in the morning and in the evenings. So that's what I did. And the only thing going was a PA. So I went right back 20 years to where I'd started as like an admin assistant. And while I was in that job, I got bored because I'd been used to quite a lot of responsibility. And so I thought, how? I'll start a business. I didn't know anyone that had a business. I didn't know any entrepreneurs, but I thought this is a way to make money. So what can I do? And I, you know, I was quite good at organizing parties. I liked cake. So I thought, hey, I'm going to become a wedding planner. So that's what I did. I started out as a wedding planner. And in that first year, I got 13 full planning weddings and I had this new boyfriend by the end of the year. And he said, well, let's see if you can leave your nine to five. Like, let's work out the costs. So I sat there and worked it out and I was earning £1.15 an hour and I'd done everything wrong that you could possibly do in business because I didn't understand business. And so I was then at this point where I was 30000 in debt because of divorce and everything else and had to say to myself, you're either going to need to give up on this dream and realise that actually generations before you have ha- have lived in poverty i have generational poverty in my family and you're always going to have to live hand to mouth you're never going to have enough money and you're always going to be in debt but you'll see the kids or if you want an extraordinary life and you want to change the pattern that everybody has had in your family till now you're going to have to do 
some risky stuff and you're going to have to make it non-negotiable. And the first thing that I was going to have to do is learn about business, which is going to cost me 5,000. I was like, I'm already 30,000 in debt. So I thought about it and I was like, I have to be the one to make the change because otherwise it's going to pass down to my boys and it's just going to continue. And so I spent, you know, if you're 30,000 in debt, what's 35,000? It didn't seem to be much different. So I bought this course all about business and I learned everything that I could. I read every single book that I could get my hands on in business. I went to every free webinar online. I just did everything that I could. And within about nine months, I turned the wedding business around and it was making a profit of around 50,000, which in wedding business terms, that's pretty good. So I was doing well there and everything had kind of changed. I had my ideal clients through the door and it was, it was all going great. And then people started asking me over the next couple of years, like, how have you done this? Like we start, we tried to start a business and it didn't work. And I realized it was because Business isn't complicated, but people really make business complicated. There's so much noise out there that you feel like you have to do 100 things. And actually, you don't. You have to do just a few simple things. And so I started teaching them, well, try this. This is what I read. And this is what I did. And they were doing it, making more money. And I was just kind of making everything a bit more simple. And it was working. And then I realized that if you'd have asked me what I wanted my life to look like, I would have said, I want to travel all the time. I want to be with my twins all the time. And now I've got this business where I work every single weekend, every single summer because of the weddings. And so I thought, well, maybe actually what I should do is try and monetize on the fact that I seem to be able to help people make money and make things simple. And so four and a half years ago, I started Lisa Johnson Consultancy and, um, things went well right from the off because I'd learned how to run a business in the first business. I gave the wedding business away. I ran a competition um, so that somebody could take over because it was a really established business by then um, and started my business. And in the first year, everything went well. However, I'd given up a nine to five job to work from six in the morning to 11 o'clock at night again in my business. And that isn't what I wanted, but I had so many people coming to me asking me to help them. And I was burning out every six to eight weeks. I was ill. I was like, you know, in bed for a week, having to to get back up again and, and, you know, try and work even when I wasn't really able to, because otherwise my money would stop coming in. And so I, after the first year, I was like, I'm, I'm earning 220,000. Brilliant. More than I've ever seen in my whole life. That's great. However, I'm working 80 hours a week and I'm, this can't last. And so I started to look around at different business models, like, you know, not everybody can be doing this the same way. And I heard someone talking about passive income and they were talking about it like it's a myth. And so I immediately became interested in that and started researching everything I could on passive income, realized that actually this could be the way for me. And I ended up paying out 100,000 of the money that I'd made to learn from the best in the world about passive income streams, all different ones, courses, memberships, drop shipping, affiliate marketing, crypto, anything I could get my hands on, I would learn. And then I started slowly implementing, like every couple of months, I'd implement a new passive income stream into my business. By the end of year two, I wasn't working 80 hours a week anymore. I was working 30 hours a month and I was earning over a million. 
And that changed everything for me because then I realized what people really needed to know was how to go from earning one-to-one, you know, working one-to-one and trading time for money to one-to-many. And so that's what I then began teaching. And now we're in, we're just about to to hit five years in business in the next month or so. And we've made 7 million in that time. And I now have um, nine employees. So it's been a crazy couple of, couple of years during the pandemic. Um, but I think that I've been talking for so long about you need to make passive income, you need to diversify. And the pandemic made everyone go, wow, she's right. Like, look what's happened. We do need to. And so they, they put things into place. Fantastic. Fantastic. Now, what I love about this story and the why I wanted to, to do this interview with you is the site. Like I said, there's so many threads we can pull out, right? You said something really important that you, you were, you know, 80 hours a week in the grind and all of a sudden, you know, almost overnight that shifts to 30 hours a month. Okay. And people without that backstory, I think there's four four words that they'll say to you. It's all right for you. Yeah, people do say that <laughs> even now. But it's you know there was nothing different about me to anybody else there. In fact, I came from a place that was probably harder than a lot of other people who had the money to learn things at that point. It didn't feel all right for me. I was juggling at one point a nine to five job, a wedding business, a new coaching business, and four year old twins on my own. And so, you know, it was a juggle, but I had to make sacrifices. I can't, I don't think I watched television for two years. I decided that if I want an extraordinary life, I have to do things at the beginning that most people won't do. You know, only 5% of people actually make it in business. And that's because we do a lot of things that a lot of people wouldn't be prepared to do. Yeah. And and I think that as a, as a mother, whether, whether you've got a partner there supporting you or whether you're doing it on your own, it's, it's hard to be working at that level. And you know, the, sac- the sacrifices you have to make, your, your head is constantly in so many places. I mean, I, um, I was employed at the time, but there was a lot of pressure on me at that, that time. And, you know, working 70, 80 hours a week, I remember turning up at the childbinders and knocking on the door, ready to get my little darling. Won't say which one in case they listen. (laughs) Um, And the the childminder opens the door and she's like, Christina, she's not here. I haven't got her today. And I was literally was, I was like, I don't remember where my children are. Yeah. I had one of those experiences. Um, The year that I was burning out, where we moved house and the kids went to school and the first week I forgot to pick them up because I was so busy doing one-to-one stuff. I just forgot to pick them up and they phoned me and it was the first week and I felt so much guilt. And it's definitely one of the things that contributed to me going, this can't go on. I need to find another way. But what I've learned is there is always another way. There is always, you know, there's a million ways to make a million pounds. You just get to choose which one. Yeah. So your sort of your background and sort of you know growing up in poverty, like I said, you know being in that situation as a lone parent, having to look after two babies and and the rest of it, obviously that creates a lot of resilience. It creates a lot of grit. So, how do you do you think that's been part of your success? I think the biggest thing that's been part of my success is adversity. 
So when I was younger, I was bullied really badly at school. I had a knife held to my throat when I was 16. And that's what stopped me going back to school. But I was bullied for being poor. Like I was in a, I got a scholarship to a private school. And so, you know, I was the only one that was a bit different. And so, you know, kids are like, they will find the different thing. And so I was bullied um, for years. And then I got married when I was just turned 18 because I think I just needed to feel some kind of love. And it was to somebody much older than me. And I was bullied in that relationship. And I feel like I started attracting bullies towards me because that, I was so used to it. I was so used to being the victim. And then um, when I started my business in that first year, I got bullied again, but this time by adults online who felt a bit threatened by what I was doing by competitors. And I actually think that is why I'm successful, because I think that if you haven't had an adversity in life, I see people, sometimes my own clients have had no adversity. They've, they've just, you know, life has been OK. And they go and start a business. And, you know, in a business, things get tough. They're hard sometimes. There's going to be obstacles in your way. And what they do is they see the obstacles and they go, oh, well. I tried. Whereas someone that's been to adversity, they find a way through, they find a way round, they smash through it if they need to, but they find a way because we're used to finding a way to survive and to be able to cope with things. So I actually think that I use adversity to fuel my success. So when those bullies in the first year of my business said to me, we're going to make sure you never work in this industry again, that was all I needed to make millions. I just, that's what I needed to, to go, I will show you that I can. And sometimes I think it's okay to use the negative things that happen to you to push you forward. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm a real, like for me personally, I'm like success, success is my non-negotiable. Absolutely. And I think having that mindset, it's you, you know, I've had some adversity. It got me to a point where I, I kind of went like, I'm not living in a world of no anymore. Like how do I get as many yeses as possible? And it's, you know, I, I, had, I had that defining moment that all of a sudden put me down a completely different track. Yeah. And I think it's the reason I ask about the resilience and grit is I think a lot of people go, oh, well, I've had adversity. I'm resilient. And they almost use it as a, um, well, I've, I've, al I've always had crap in my life. So another bit of crap, I can take it on. And it's like, actually, we're not changing anything. No. And that's toxic to feel like that because that will keep you in a certain place. It will get you so far, but it will keep you in a certain place. And actually what we want to do is think differently and, and think of success as something attainable. So much of this is about belief systems. You know, the reason that I wasn't making money my whole life was because of a belief system that people like me didn't make money. I had to really work on these belief systems to be able to push through them. But once you do, everything changes and you see everything in a different way and in a different light. And even now I learn all the time. I change all the time. I'm evolving all the time. And I'm still working on my money mindset all the time. I'm still working on the inner stuff that goes on that enables you to be a different person, be the best version of you that will, you know, will want success. We stop ourselves all the time. Um, one of the things that you talk about a lot is integrity because the world that you're in, the, the people you've come up against, um, you know, that bullying that happens online, I know you still get a lot of it now. I do, yeah. You know, I walk off a duck's back these days. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, I, I think this is the thing, when, you get, when you're getting stuff like that, it's, 
um, a lot of it's about it's that person's stuff. It's like what you know, what are they projecting onto you, and like what's going on with them, and, and all that kind of stuff. But it's still it's still hard to deal with. It is, and I think that I had some trauma training because what happened was in the first year when that when it was really bad, I retreated because it just brought back every memory from school for me. And so I was like, I don't want to be part of this. I don't want to be part of this industry. I felt like I was in an industry that I didn't like. There were so many kind of just really unethical things that were happening in the industry. People lying about things, people forcing people to to buy things on a credit card. There were just so many things, people being awful about each other behind their backs. And I didn't want to be part of that. And so I said to one of my mentors, "I, I don't want this. I don't think this is right for me anymore. And she said, you can either run away from this and it will still be the same industry just without you in it. Or you can make so much money that people listen to you and they see that you can do it a different way. In other words, change things from the inside, which is the only place you can change things from. And that hit a chord with me. And I thought, "Mm, you know, what this lesson of bullying has taught me is what I don't want to be, is that I would love to have a business like this with integrity, where we all collaborate with each other, where we actually refer people to each other, where there's no competition. And so that's what I set out to do. And still, that's my biggest value. That's still what my company does now is, you know, we we help each other. We help other companies more than we help ourselves. And we want people who are our clients to do better than we did. Um, That's the point. If you don't bring people with you, there's no success in that. The success is lifting each other up. But I think that people have lost their way a bit over the last couple of years, especially it's been hard in, in our industry and in any industry. And so I think people have forgotten that and it's become competitive and it doesn't need to be. Yeah. I, I think there's, there's a lot of people that circulate within this, the sort of, I mean, what, how would you describe that? The education industry or most personal development. Yeah. 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 You know, and, and I think there's a lot of people that circle around because there's a lot of, you know, it's funnel after funnel. Here's my free thing to my low cost thing, to my mid range, to my my top tier. And in it, it's like it's as a marketer, it's so transparent yeah. and that's fine. I accept that. I, yeah. I don't have a problem with it. Um, but I think there's there are a lot of vulnerable people circulating. There are. That I've I, seen things. <laughs> yeah. You yeah. know, and, and it's it's. It's great that I've been sat in programs and looked to the person to my left and gone, oh, like, why did they take your money? Yeah, this person shouldn't be here. And that's the biggest issue. Like last year, we did a launch in June and I had. You have to hope that the affiliates also have that integrity. So we taught them how to make sure they sell with integrity and not to, all the things not to do that we'd seen out there. There was 125, it wasn't like three. And so we thought, let's try and have an affiliate launch in integrity. And we did. And we had people coming to us, well, coming to me behind the scenes saying, I just want you to know that we've seen a few of your affiliates out there selling your program. And every time there's someone that's not right for it, they're turning them away. Every time someone says, I'm going to put it on a credit card, they're saying, we'd rather you didn't. Just wait until you can afford it, come and do the free stuff and then come back in. And it really made me realize you can do it. We made 2.5 million that week. You know, in a lockdown, in a lockdown, it, you can do it with integrity. And I think people are teaching people that you have to 
you have to do things a bit dodgy. Um, you have to push people to, to make this kind of money. And we've proved you don't. You can make money while being able to sleep at night. And, and I think this is the thing. I think this this is, as a purveyor of this world, I, I think this, there are people that can't sell unless they've got that bonus stack there. And yeah. I think that your audience buy from you because not because they're buying from Lisa Johnson, but because they're actually, they're, they're buying into the team. They're, they're buying into your ops manager as well. And, yeah. you know, and, and I think she's as prominent within your community as you are sometimes. It's, and that's, that's a fantastic place to be because that's, that's when you're building, it sounds cheesy, doesn't it? But that's when you're building a movement. And that's what I set out to do, build a movement where things are done differently, where things in this online industry are done differently and where it's very visible that things are done differently. And that's why not just my ops manager, but my whole team are part of it. So when we have a mastermind, it isn't me that teaches in that mastermind. It's me. It's Zoe. It's Ange, my marketing manager. We all teach in that mastermind. And now I've got a new finance manager. She's going to be teaching that mastermind because you don't learn from one person. You learn from everyone that's doing it. I'm not foolish enough to believe that my company works because of me. My company works because of us all as a team. It definitely wouldn't be making the money that it's making if there was just me. Um, everybody brings different skills to it. And so I want my clients to learn all those different skills, not just the bit that I have. So who's really in charge of your business? Is it you Sorry. or is it Sorry. Sorry. in charge of my business? <laughs> Zoe tells me what I need to do <laughs> each day. Do this do this and and Zoe's great because we have we're quite different in how we think and so I took Zoe on she was a, she was actually a member of my audience and I saw that she was quite different to me and our values are the same but she's different in the way she does things and I think it's always good to get somebody in your business that's very opposite to you in some ways because otherwise you're in an echo chamber you only ever hear that everything's good and nothing's always good in a business there's always some things to change and so I brought Zoe in and it's good because sometimes I'll be making a decision the book is a great example of this I, I got a book deal because my podcast went to number one so a, a, a few book publishers listened to that podcast and got in touch with me and there were two that were fighting to sign me up Harper Collins and um Hodder and Staunton and I didn't know which one to go with and I started to make a decision based on the wrong things I was being told I could have tv I would be able to, you know, make money this way all of these different things the other book publisher was like we want to get your story out there. We know you want to impact lots of people. That's the thing we're going to concentrate on. And I started to go the wrong way because, you know, somebody's offering you, like, I've always wanted television. I've always wanted to be a TV presenter. So if somebody's offering you those kind of things, it's very easy to get distracted by the wrong things. And having Zoe and Marie, my sister on the team, and Sam, my husband on the team, who are all very grounded, all of them were like, no, stop look look at what you wanted what did you want the book for like look at what you're doing and turned it around for me and if I didn't have them that might not have happened so it's always good to have people around you that remind you of why you're doing things in the first place um because it doesn't make any difference to them yeah um obviously you've got a fantastic sort of circle of people around you and you've um you mentioned having a mentor previously and obviously you've got your mastermind you're mentoring a lot of a lot of people at the minute um like what's some people find it a bit odd having a coach having a mentor that that relationship so 
What are your thoughts on that? I still have one. I've since the day I decided to get that coach to turn the wedding business around. I've always had. Um, I've always been a in a mastermind, and I've always been. Um, I've always had a coach or a mentor of some kind, and that's because a mastermind gives you different things. I love hearing you know, having peer support. Um, but I also like to have one person that's already been where I've been to tell me the mistakes because I made so many mistakes in the first couple of years. I still make mistakes now, but having somebody that says, oh, I did that. This is what happened. It's really, really useful. So for me, that mentor doesn't need to be If I'm choosing someone just for business, they're usually someone that's already eight figures because that's where I am on the way to. So I want to know what they did. But sometimes I'll bring on a mentor for one specific thing and they might be not even earning six figures, but they're brilliant at Instagram. Or, you know, they might only be earning five figures, but they're really good at email marketing. And for me, that's what's more important. Like, what are the skills they have that I need to understand or I need to know about? So it's not always about going for somebody that is doing better than you money-wise. Revenue is one tiny part of this whole game. You know, I I think this is the thing. It's like the, the money thing. You've got to be comfortable talking about money, first of all, but then you also need to be... I've lost Oh. Sorry, I lost you then, but you're back now. <laughs> I'm back. Cool. Yeah. So, um, yeah, money is is an interesting topic because we need to be comfortable. Like to to grow a business, you you need to be comfortable having money, and knowing that it's going it. to come your way, and you know, and and just be really open about it. But you also need to make sure that it doesn't become your north star. Mm, it can't be your only success measure. You know, I've seen people launch and they go, "I had a failed launch." because they didn't make the money they wanted, but they added an extra 2000 people to their email list and they're not even looking at that. And that kills me. It's like money isn't your only success measure. And I think talk, I talk about money a lot because I think it's really important for people who come from where I come from to see what's possible because I didn't have anyone to look up to, to see what's possible. So that's why I do it. And I think it's important. And yes, I get slammed down for doing that a lot, but I'm still always going to to put money in there and show people how I've made it. But I think that we have to be really careful about if we talk about money a lot and only money, it becomes the only thing that people think is important. And I think in this online world, it's a bit dangerous at the moment because people think if they haven't made six figures in three months, they've failed in some way. And it used to be in my day, this shows how old I am. People used to say things like, you know, if you break even within three years, then you're on the right path. And now that, you know, you'd never even be in business over six months if you hadn't made a ton of money. And it shouldn't be like that. Like all businesses are different and not everybody's measure of success is money anyway. I have so many clients that just want to spend an extra day at home with the kids or they want to travel as part of their job. It isn't always about money. And I think we've lost touch a bit with that in this online world. And it's, you know, I can't tell you the amount of times I hear 10K months or, you know, I want to hit seven figures when people have just started. And it's just so unrealistic. I want to talk to you about, well, the question I was going to ask you was, what, like, where is it that people fail when they're sort of starting from zero and, and moving forward? Um, but what I really want to talk about is patience. Because yeah. I think it really ties into, I want to make a million in the next six months. You had fantastic results, like I said, near enough overnight, but then you've got this 
that's just when this business started. You'd got all that background before oh, all that knowledge. Not overnight. not overnight. People always say, you made so much money overnight. And actually, if you go back, the things that I, the, the, the start of my learning experience in business was starting that wedding business five years before. So, you know, it wasn't overnight. It was a, it's been a nine year journey to get here. Um, it's a nine year overnighter. And I think that patience is, it's one of the most important things you can have in business and not just patience, realizing that can, you have to be consistent. Like people say, well, I've been consistent. I say, well, show me how you've been consistent. Well, I've been doing this, I've been online showing up for three weeks. When I say consistent, I mean a year, like or sometimes two years. And that's why passive income gets such bad, bad name, because it sounds as if you're going to make money overnight and you don't. And you can't just sit there and do nothing. The only thing that passive means is not trading time for money. It's not passive as in you don't have to do anything. You don't go to sleep and money wanes down on you. You work really hard for at least a year, putting the asset into place, and then you can make money from that asset time and time again afterwards. It becomes passive year two, three, four, five. It's definitely not passive in the first year. You'll work harder than you've ever worked in your life. Um, and you have to go through the pain. I mean, like sitting on webinars where no one shows up. Yeah, we all done it. <laughs> We've all been and just doing it anyway. So you've got the recording, so you can use it again. It's like it's that putting that Facebook ad out where you only get two responses. You know, it's it's there's all these pains that, but each of those pains get you a step closer. Yeah, and I think that if you're around people that have already been through that, you sort of know. Like in one to many, which is one of my programs, I tell people by month three of having a Facebook group, you were all going to say to me, nobody is commenting. I don't want to do this anymore. It's really hard work and you'll want to give up. And they all like, no, we'll be fine. Every single time around the three to five month mark, they say exactly those words to me. I'm like, you've forgotten that I told you this would happen. Like this always happens. I had a girl who liked Facebook, knew that she'd be able to sell well on Facebook. And so she, um, she was like, okay, I'll do a Facebook group. And after like two or three months, nothing was happening. I told you it wouldn't, but nothing was happening. But I believe that there's, if you do it long enough and you're consistent enough, there's what I call the snowball effect where suddenly everyone gets engaged and she was about to give up. And I said, just keep going for like a couple more months. You never know when this, you know, you don't know what's around the corner. You don't know when this is going to take off. And she really didn't want to do it, but I pushed her to do it. She did. In month four, there was this massive snowball effect. Everyone started talking. In month five, she made £45,000 just from that group. And so we don't know what's around the corner, but so many people give up just before it's going to work. And that it's really hard to watch that when they put so much effort in. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you, we've talked about bullying a little bit, um, and I know... You know, we said as well, it's about, it's about what you do with your money. You know, you've got this fantastic business that's allowed you to, to do your travel and you, you've got the time. It's, you know, 30 hours a month, rather not even 30 hours a week. And so I know, like, one of the things that you've done is you're involved with the anti-bullying charity, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, Bullies Out. It's an amazing charity. Yeah. So, um, yeah, tell me about them. What well, them. I was going to start a foundation because I wanted to help people, not only people that, have been bullied 
or are being bullied. But I wanted to help the bullies because I had some trauma coaching that made me think very differently about them. Hurt people hurt people. And so when you see that, you can't feel the anger that you feel for bullies. You can only see that they're lashing out because something in their life is not good. And so I wanted somewhere that would help everybody in different ways. And was going to start this foundation and I was speaking on a stage at an event and this girl came up to me and said, oh, I'm from Bullies Out. And I was like, oh, lovely to meet you. I hadn't heard of them. And so I looked into them and they already had the exact charity that I wanted to start and they were doing brilliant work. And so instead of starting my own, I decided to become an ambassador for them and to try and get their work out there. So now whenever I have like press written about me, I always try and get them in so that more people can can go to them for help if they need it. But they're a great charity. And one of the things I'm passionate about is it's not always the bully that hurts. It's the bystander. And they have so much information on that, on the bystander. When I think back to when I was bullied as a child, you know, when when the girl held the knife to my throat, it wasn't that that hurt. It was the 20 to 30 classmates during her on, the bystanders, even the ones saying nothing, but who were watching and doing nothing. In that first year that I was bullied online, it wasn't the bullies. I expected them to write some nasty stuff online. What I didn't expect was all the people who waded in, some of whom were my clients and didn't know they were talking about me, saying, oh, she sounds awful, name and shame her. You know, all of those kind of things were the thing that hurts. And the bystander is such an important role. Like if you ever see somebody being bullied or even if it's somebody that you're a little bit fearful of, step in and say, hey, I'm not sure this is the the way to go. Because all it takes sometimes for a bully, bullies carry on because there are other people who are impressed with it or who are kind of feeding them. If that stopped and bystanders said, we don't really like this, they would very quickly stop. Yeah, it's... Do you know, I didn't even... (sighs) There was an incident on a train a, a few months, you know, everyone's sort of wearing masks still on the trains. And um, there was um, an intoxicated individual that was very aggressive towards someone else on the train, a young Asian girl on the train, and it it became very uncomfortable and I, I did intervene. Um, and, yeah, it's weird. I didn't think about myself in that role but, you were a bystander, but so was everyone else on that train that did nothing. Do you know, when I when I got off the train and someone else that had been in the same carriage, because I, I basically got this person's attention, I said they're, you know, intoxicated at you know half past 10 in the morning or whatever. Um, and I ended up talking to this person the rest of, you know, for an hour on the train into Houston. Um, and when we <laughs> walked this person basically through the station, and someone else from the train stopped me. It was just like, you're so brave and all this stuff. And I just burst into tears. Yeah, because it's it's not, you don't feel brave. You feel like you're doing something really stupid. Yeah. But it has to happen. But yeah, especially online, so. you know, There's no physical fear online. Yeah, I've seen people who are in my circles who are friends with me bitching about somebody else. And about how, you know, they're an awful person and they, they need to be stopped and all of these kind of things. And like spreading rumours about them that I know not to be true. And all it takes is for me to go, I'd rather you didn't talk about that. Like in front of me, yeah. I don't think this is the way. And they'll stop. It will stop it. 
complete. It'll make them think maybe other people don't like to hear about it. But so many times we just goad, we just egg them on. And it's not a good thing to do. I, I think that, you know, I, I'm in a digital world. I talk about social media all the time. When we're bringing on a client, we're talking about, okay, what, you know, negativity online, what's our strategy for dealing with that if it crops up? And I, I sometimes think that there are a lot of people that are part of the problem because there's this like bravado around it. You haven't made it unless you've had some negativity online. And and it's like, it's just, and I caught myself saying it to someone and I was just like, I'm actually part of the problem. I have too. And felt exactly the same way. And I think it's because we try and find a way to make it more acceptable so that it doesn't hurt us, but it's not acceptable. The trolling that we get online isn't acceptable. I wrote a list yesterday because I'm doing an article for a paper of the things that have been said to me in the last year online by people I don't know. They're horrific. And I was thinking that if we worked in an office, no one would come into our workplace and say these things and it would never be allowed. Our office is social media. We can't decide not to go in. Like we have to see it and therefore we have all of this abuse. Why is it okay? Why are we supposed to accept it? Because we're putting ourselves out there. It's ridiculous. It needs to stop. And the the way it needs to stop is for Facebook, Instagram, all the other social media outlets cracking down on it rather than just being okay with it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I think anyone listening to this, yeah, having listened to your story, some of the things we've talked about, there's no question that you are successful in business. People follow you on social media. They can see just how dedicated you are to boys. It's like, you know, you, you are the, you, you can be the, the parent and the business person, you know, and you're female and you're driven and, and all of those things. And, and I think that if you were male, people are more kind of like, yeah, that's how it should be. But when you're female, it's like, careful you don't burn out. Yeah, it will be What are you easier. doing to look after yourself? We do a lot. Yeah, people do that. <laughs> I think actually women do so much more to look after themselves than men, and they're still told that. Um, because men apparently don't need to they can just carry on forever Um, but women need to and I think it's ridiculous but I also think there's a sexism that comes into that so for instance I'm not the one that's looking after my boys all the time my husband's a stay-at-home dad and they're not his but he's still a stay-at-home dad and so he does all of the school runs he does all of the cooking he is the person that looks after the house and yet I'm still the one that is thought of as the main caregiver however many times I like to say that online um I think people think that women can do it all I don't think they have to do it all I think we need to let go of that like we don't want to be super women stop calling us it like I don't want to be superwoman don't want to do it all I'd like somebody else to take some of the responsibility and that's what happens in my life um but there is definitely a sexism surrounding it and like you know I suffer from anxiety and depression. I also have a chronic, long-term chronic illness. And there are other people in business that do. And this ridiculous notion that if we just have a hot bath and drink some peppermint tea, everything will be okay is ridiculous. There, there are ways to deal with these things, but we need to we need to accept that they are real things that are going to need proper strategies to deal with. And that no, we're not going to do everything on our own. 
for it to be okay. Denise Duffield-Thomas did a great article last year about how people always say to her, you know, you, you do so, so much. You're such a superwoman. And she listed out all of the people that help her, her ironing woman, like the person that comes and does her hair every single week. Like there were so many people that are helping her be the person that she is now. And that's how I feel. Like I don't want to be seen as I'm doing it all because that means other people will hold themselves to that standard. And it's not even true. Excellent. I love that. Lisa, I'm really conscious of your time. Um, and this feels like a fantastic place to, to wrap up. But we haven't really talked about like the programs that you offer and that kind of thing. So if someone's listening to this and they're thinking, okay, we really like what Lisa's about. I think you'll, you know, you absolutely live your values. And I think that comes through. So they're probably going to feel drawn to you. Where should we be directing them? Because you've got your one to many, you've got I, th- yeah. I don't think this will go out till after your festival has happened, unfortunately. But you, you, you've just got like so many things that people can engage in at all different levels. So um, the best thing to start with is the free stuff like I did. So on my website under resources, so lisajohnson.com under resources, there's a load of free stuff like free guides about launching, um, free prompts for Facebook lives, quizzes, all sorts. Start there. And then that will take you into my world anyway. So when things do come up that you think might be a good fit for you, you can come and ask. But I have a challenge coming up in March called Race to Recurring Revenue that I do every year that everyone gets very excited about because people make money just from the free challenge. And that's why I love it, because they do. So um, come and come and head over to that as well. Fantastic. Lisa, thanks again. Um, it's been a pleasure having you. It's been nice to talk to you. Thanks.